Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I'm joined by Thomas Curran. Thomas is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology and Behavioral Science at London School of Economics. He is a world leading expert on perfectionism and the author of The Perfectionist Trap, the power of good enough in a world that always wants more. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. As a recovering perfectionist, I really enjoyed reading the book. No problem. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation and I know that there's so much to talk about with this topic. I think a lot of people might already think they know what perfectionism is, but I'd love to, I guess, dive straight into this topic with you. And as you are the expert, could you firstly explain to us the concept of perfectionism? Of course. So perfectionism is a personality characteristic that I think a lot of people listening can identify with. Um, It's the most common answer to that dreaded interview question what's your biggest weakness oh I'm, I'm a total perfectionist and in many ways is a kind of indicative of a sort of cultural um perception i suppose that perfectionism is our our favorite flaw and although these are kind of amusing anecdotes we can point to my research is actually showing that perfectionism is indeed becoming more common um it's risen by about 40 percent since the late 1980s um But as I talk about in the book, this is not necessarily something to celebrate because I think we're quite mistaken if we think perfectionism is healthy or positive um, because at root, it's a form of deficit thinking. So it comes from a sense that we're not enough um, and that we need to be perfect or at least appear perfect um, in our daily lives. So it's about hiding and trying to conceal our shortcomings And as a consequence, it can be linked to a whole host of psychological difficulties. Um, So perfectionism is is really something I think we can all identify with, but it might not necessarily be the kind of positive thing we think it is. Mm, So, yeah, it's pretty complex. But looping back to what you said about job interview questions, because you're right, I'm sure a lot of people will probably think that is a good thing to say to a potential employer. Oh, I'm an absolute perfectionist because they might assume that means they're inferring that they're going to work really hard. They're going to go the extra mile. They're going to you know, pay attention to detail. They're never going to miss anything. So for the employer, maybe they're thinking, oh, great, this person's a perfectionist. They're going to work their butts off. So why is it that we yeah, why is it that we think that it's a positive thing when it comes to output? and when it comes to our work? I think society celebrates perfection. I think in, in, in modern society, and we have a very hyper-competitive world. There's a lot of pressure to excel in school and college and in the workplace. And of course, social media as well puts a lot of pressure on people to live up to really high and in, in many cases unattainable ideals. So the whole world that we live in right now is kind of focused around hyper-functioning, hyper-competitiveness. Uh, and I think that that really seeps down into our own psychology and we think that our employers are looking for nothing but perfection we think that society looks for nothing for but perfection either and and when you know we see perfection and perfection all around us it's quite natural quite understandable logical that we would 
give off a sense that uh, we will go above and beyond. We will sac- sacrifice ourselves. We will shoot for excessively high standards uh, in our roles because we think that's what other people are looking for. So for, for me, it's, we radiate perfection because the world radiates perfection. And I don't think it's any surprise. And I, and I think it's completely uh, understandable that we that we kind of project our personalities in that way. Yeah, um, I guess as the as the eternal optimist that I am, and someone who definitely, you know, I read a lot and talk a lot about high performance, so about you know optimization, and not necessarily to this standard as you're describing of you know uh, unreachable extreme kind of perfection, but encouraging myself and others to think how can we yeah optimize and and improve things and and iterate things, but. Is there, I suppose, some upside to perfectionism? Is there any times in, in our lives when it can be beneficial or is it always detrimental? So I think there's really, this is a really important question. One I tried to deal with in my book to, 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 to make a distinction between perfectionism and other things that are absolutely positive. So I think the, the, the kind of blind faith we put in perfectionism right now is misplaced because one of the things you you hear when you talk to perfectionists and particularly perfectionists that are really struggling so perfectionists perhaps that go to therapy or perfectionists that uh perfectionistic students perhaps that come to me and ask for for help is is that they they feel like the perfectionism is the one thing that's holding them up in the world when everything else seems to be collapsing around them it's my perfectionism is what's keeping me going it's pushing me forward it's helping me to succeed and I think we need to we need to understand that perfectionism isn't doing those things that actually it's the orchestrator of those things is what's creating those difficulties in the first place because as I mentioned before it's this deficit thinking that ke- that keeps concealing hiding grinding uh pushing forward in a way that shows other people that we're perfect and nothing but perfect and that is rather different for example, to things like conscientiousness or meticulousness, traits that we often confuse perfectionism with, which are active and optimistic ways of striving that are rooted in things like excellence and doing our level best. Okay, that is very different to perfectionism because conscientious people, people who are meticulous, they can let things go when things aren't quite right. Perfectionists can't let things go when they aren't quite right because the fear and social judgment of social judgment is so extreme that they will continue to hide, continue to conceal, continue to push themselves well beyond comfort because the consequence of not doing so is so difficult psychologically. So we need to make a a very clear distinction between perfectionism on the one hand, which is extremely negative, and other more positive traits that you alluded to in, in your question there, which are rooted in things like conscientiousness, diligence, meticulousness, um, because I think that's really important to understanding uh, why perfection is mm. so damaging and why other uh, there are other more healthier ways to strive. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting as a parent, you know, I'm listening to that as well and thinking about how, you know, how we parent and our parenting styles and how I think, you know, often people will say that if you're a perfectionist, you know, it's because your parents were perfectionists or they expected perfection from you and maybe they forced you to do things or, you know, maybe 99% wasn't good enough. I, I remember a friend actually telling me that, you know, if he got 99%, he's he joked this from an Indian family and his uh, parents had very high expectations academically for him and his siblings. And he would joke that if he got 99% on the test, it would be not good enough. Um, whereas I'm sure in other households, 99% would have been celebrated 
integrated. Um, so yeah, I guess for any parents listening, if they're thinking, oh yeah, you know, I want my children to strive to achieve their best. I want them to be conscientious and diligent, but am I gonna, yeah, am I putting too much pressure on them? Is this gonna cause perfectionism traits in them? If I, how do, how do parents find that balance? Well, again, it goes back to that distinction between perfectionists coming from a sense of deficit, from a sense of lack, from this idea that if you don't get perfection, then there is something wrong with you. Like there's something wrong. If I don't uh, get a hundred percent, then I'm, I'm flawed in some way. I think that is a very important start uh, way to start to, to think about perfection as a starting point, because then you can begin to think, think well, you know, okay, how do we interact with our kids in a way that avoids instilling these kind of deficit feelings? Well, the, the, the most important way for me is unconditional love and attention uh, and affection. Sorry, uh, even when things have gone wrong. So what we what we see with uh, warm and unconditionally uh, affectionate parenting is a parents who will congratulate children when they've done well, praise their effort, uh, but also when things haven't gone quite right, still praise effort, love, and provide un- unconditional affection because this in this way young people and children in particular don't get a sense that their whole sense of self and their sense of self-esteem is tied to how well they're doing uh, in the eyes of other people because if there's unconditionality in as, as in terms of love and affection then children have a much help build a much healthier uh, approach to striving which basically says okay well even if I, if I succeed or if I don't succeed, the most important thing is that I tried. The most important thing that is I, uh, I can learn and develop from this experience and that my sense of worth in the world is not tied to those outcomes. Um, I can get a sense of pride. I can get a sense of self-esteem from in, in, you know, in putting myself in positions where I'm working hard and I'm, I'm, I'm doing tests and exams and I'm getting results back and I'm getting information about how I'm doing, but my self-esteem isn't tied to the outcomes of those, of those outcomes. And I, and I think for parents, that's a really, really crucial thing to bear in mind when you're communicating with your kids about exam scores, uh, performances and things like sports or music or whatever it might be, is that no matter how things turn out, it's so so important to be supportive and unconditionally affectionate because those things will break will will create um, much healthier ways of striving and avoid perfectionistic tendencies creeping into young people's lives. Mm, and I guess we can maybe turn some of that onto ourselves, right? So what you said about praising effort and being, you know, you can do that for yourself, right? So whatever the outcome is, whatever goal you're striving towards, for example, you know, I always give the same kind of examples because I'm a runner and because I'm an author, and you know, I set myself goals, whether that's a monthly, uh, if I'm training for a race, I might have a weekly training plan and a monthly goal of how many miles I need to complete because I have to know that when I get to that race, I've done the adequate preparation. But sometimes, you know, on race day, I think can go wrong you might not get the time that you wanted or you might not you know it might not go as well as you planned but I always try to do that now if I'm thinking about okay did I stick to the plan am I you know rewarding myself for the effort of showing up every single week every single day you know putting in the miles even if on the day you're six minutes out from your PB or you're 30 seconds out from your PB you know you did everything that you can and I think we can try it's not always easy I think in other instances things like maybe our career, maybe, you know, creative outlets, you know, it's, it's difficult, right? To create something, share your ideas with the world, maybe in a book or on social media or in this podcast, in anything, not everyone's going to like everything you do. And I think trying to measure your, yeah, your effort instead of just measuring the success of the outcome, I think is something I certainly 
I'm saying it now like it's easy. I need to do more of it. But I think if you could, I guess, are there any kind of, yeah, practices or, or um, ways in which people can start to do that in their own lives? I think you're absolutely right. And setting yourself goals and targets is absolutely um a very healthy thing to do uh, just as long as you don't get hung up on the outcomes if things haven't gone quite to plan that's all that's fine I think life is life throws at us uh, challenges um, that are often beyond our control and I think one of the th- first things for us to remember whenever you know we do something and it's gone well or it hasn't gone well is that often for no good reason we can fall short often for no good reason we can fail and that's okay uh, we shouldn't be bound by those goals for our self-esteem they're just they're just um uh, aspirational targets that we hope to one day get to but it might not be today it might not be tomorrow it might not be next week it might not be next month but we will get there it's a journey um and i think that's really important particularly when we're thinking about goals uh and standards and also where those goals and standards come from um I hear a lot about people who make lists who have you know have to you know tick off every single thing that they do uh, which is also fine but if those lists and goals are coming from a place of anxiety that's to say that if I don't meet them I'll feel terrible about myself then that's a very unhealthy way to set goals and and and, um, and expectations of ourselves but if they're coming from like you just said a very optimistic active sense of okay I'm going to put in the effort. These are things that I want to go for. Um, but if I don't meet them, I'll learn from the experience. I'll reflect and do better next time. I'll try to do better next time. Uh, then that's a m- much healthier way to set goals. The other thing about goals is to make them realistic. So what perfectionists can often do is create targets and expectations that are way beyond their capacity. And this comes from an overcompensation uh, especially if things haven't gone well in the past, what perfectionists tend to do is overcompensate. So I see this in my students a lot. If they get a low grade, like let's say they get 60% and their their target is a first, well, they'll set at 80% for the next uh, uh, piece of coursework to overcompensate for the initial failure. Of course, you know, if they got 60%, then 70% might be something that's a bit too distant at the moment. They need to put in more effort. So 80% is absolutely unachievable. So, so again, it's not trying not to get sort of sucked into this focus on fixation on outcomes because that can lead to also an overcompensation, which creates ever higher goals, which means we never meet those goals and we feel anxious and miserable about ourselves. So it's, been, it's about being realistic and learning from the process. So I'm going to be really honest with you because at the start I joked, oh, you know, recovering perfectionist, ha ha ha, like it's funny, but I'll be really honest with you and the listeners. I feel like this is something I've been doing a lot of work on over the last few years. And I don't necessarily, I don't know if I would have called it perfectionism because yeah, I'm not sure if I would have used that term, but I think I'm definitely someone who's been achievement orientated for a long time. And then understanding why, why are you so focused constantly on achievement and what does it mean for you? And what would your life be like if you weren't always trying to achieve something? And, you know, I've really done a lot of work on this. And so I feel like I'm, I'm A, being honest and sharing that with you and the listeners, but also I feel like I can really relate to some of the struggles when people start to try and break this down. I think there's always a fear. Often I've had this and friends have said the same. There's a fear that they say, well, if I were to change some of these tendencies, then maybe I wouldn't achieve as much, or maybe I wouldn't be so good at my job, or maybe I wouldn't be such a competent 
whatever coach or because I'm that's what makes me able to succeed so do you think there's an element of truth in that or yeah what would you say to people that think that as you've said this isn't always going to serve them it can be very detrimental but they think actually if I start to take that away that's my secret source you know that's what makes me able to do what I do okay this is a really good question so as I said earlier perfectionists tend to attribute to their perfectionism a um a kind of heroic status in in the sense that everything else can be crumbling but my perfectionism is what's keeping me going and is what's making me successful in some ways there's a very real that that perception is very real and logical because in today's society particularly for people that start with certain disadvantages they start in a standing start in life um maybe they were born in a working class community or they come from an unrepresented minority you have to put in all of yourself to everything that you do just to stand still that's to say that just to keep up with everyone else around you so this idea that perfectionism is holding us up and creating uh, a pathway to achievement in some senses is a very real perception and i don't want to diminish it because uh, for cert- for some people it very much is necessary to give everything you've got and even then you might not make it but in this world in such a lopsided society and economy it's 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 necessary in order to succeed that doesn't mean that doesn't mean however that it doesn't come with costs and the cost is first to our mental health that's to say that it creates a substantial amount of worry anxiety uh, a hyper vigilance about how we're doing relative to other people and a need and desire to lift ourselves above other people in sometimes extremely challenging situations and when headwinds are blowing us straight in the face that creates a lot of discomfort a lot of exhaustion a lot of burnout and also what's really interesting is We also see when we look at perfectionism across the piece in the research that they don't necessarily succeed in in any greater measure than non-perfectionists. And that's a really curious finding. Uh, We can delve into why that is if you'd like, but the point I want to make in, in answer to your question is that yes, perfectionism seems like a necessary uh, character trait and in some, and and in many cases it very much is, but we have to weigh that up against what's lost and what's lost is is mental uh, our mental health and also a, a sense that we don't quite succeed in the measure that you'd expect us to given the amount of effort we put in mm, yes i definitely want to look back to that idea of why non-perfectionists uh, still succeed as well and to the same degree but before we do i think just adding a little bit more i guess to what i was saying about how i'm you know how i've worked on this uh, you know being focused on achievement all the time and something that helped me was understanding you know i said why why do we do that and for, this is just obviously my anecdotal experience but it very much aligns to what you just said around growing up in, you know, a single parent household with a low income and being the older sibling. So taking on a lot of feeling of responsibility to to do things, to actually get things done, but also a sense of feeling of value. Because I think when you achieve, people recognize that. They 
They might praise you. They might say, well done. They might thank you. They might say, thank you for doing that. So as a result of that, you feel valued. And I think if you feel valued when you achieve, again, I think sometimes people think that perfectionists are just these people that are super, I don't know, self-centered or super like, I've got to be the best. But actually, I think often they're insecure people who are trying to get others to actually value them and to go, actually, if I do this thing, if I achieve that, that whoever it is, whether it's your parents, whether it's your siblings, whether it's your teacher at school, whether it's your partner, they're gonna they're gonna recognize the achievement and they're gonna notice you and therefore you're more valuable. And I know it's you know it's deep and complex, and I'm sure for many people it's not that that way. But I think the more I understood about myself and the more I understood why was I so focused on achievement, it wasn't because I wanted to be the best or anything like that. It was just that those were the moments in my life when I'd felt the most valued by the people that I cared about. So so important. We 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 think about um, the social world around us when we're talking about perfectionism or any any personality trait, because those pressures and those um I, I guess those sources of motivation are so so important in in, ha- in how we how we turn out as adults and i think at an early age if if we uh, I, I myself uh, grew up in a working class community and one of the things that i felt a lot in my uh developing years is inferiority and a sense of lack relative to other people and that doesn't go away. You kind of carry that through. And as a move, as a strive, just like you described, you know, I really wanted to work hard so I could prove to other people that, you know, I had value and that actually like I wasn't this inferior or imperfect or deficient person I thought I was. And all through uh, the, my, you know, my teenage years and into my young adulthood, I carried those feelings through with me. So I totally relate to what you're saying. And and, and in the end, that's created, uh, I think, um, a dependency on achievement, which has lifted me quite high in my professional career. But it has also come at tremendous uh, personal cost too. Um, and if we don't consider the social world, if we don't consider those needs for validation that you talked about, the need to feel like uh, we're getting somewhere and that other people approve of us and that we can see that we, we have worth in this world uh, because of the outcomes of our striving, um, I, I, you know, we will we'll struggle to really um, get a good grasp of where perfectionism is coming from. And it's coming from those social, it's coming from those social factors. It's coming from societal factors. It's coming from a sense of, you know, that you're not enough, that you have to keep striving. And in many ways, and we can, we can come on to this too, but in many ways, this perfectionism and perfectionistic feelings are really evidence that the system's working. Um, because the system needs us to feel inferior, it needs us to feel deficient, and of course, those feelings are very strong for people that you know start um, with more difficult circumstances. Of course, they do. But it, everybody in this society is is supposed to feel inferior because we need to be consuming, and we need to be striving, and we need to be working because that's how our economy grows. So, um, so these social factors, these systemic factors, these societal factors are so, so crucial in understanding why people like me and you um, have these excessively high standards or these extremely high standards that we, you know, as we've gone into adulthood, have tried to have tried to reframe and tried to um, channel in, in a healthier way. But nevertheless, the, I think this is a big reason why we why we feel that way. Mm. And I'm definitely going to share because I know, you know, we're going to talk about what we can do about it. You know, it's not all bad. And also, I'll, yeah, I'll share, I guess, how I feel like I'm moving uh, in, in a better 
I guess, moving forward in a more healthier way. Uh, but I want to double click and go back on what you said about non-perfectionism and how, you know, when I asked you that question of like, is it gonna, am I still gonna be able to succeed? And you said that actually the, the research and the findings is that people who maybe have a bit more of a laid back approach, maybe they're not so uh, meticulous and, and hard on themselves, but they still they still succeed. So why is that? So let's let's go back then to perfectionism as a as coming from a sense of lack and one of the things that happens with perfectionists is they strive so so hard to prove to other people that they're worth something to gain validation and approval that actually they're not they're not this deficient and flawed person that they think they are um, or that they know they are deep down and and all of that effort and all of that striving is good in one sense but it's too much so what we see is perfectionism as this kind of inverse relationship or, or inverse returns to additional pieces uh, additional amounts of effort so what happens is perfectionists work really hard but they work too hard where the you know the output to their effort starts to diminish and then they go uh, they go even beyond that threshold where any additional pieces of effort now that they put into tasks results in declining performance, high levels of burnout, sacrificing things like relationship, uh, healthy diet, um, and rejuvenating sleep, which we know are important for, for performance outcomes. So that's one of the reasons why perfectionists don't aren't necessarily as successful as you think they might be. But the second reason, and I think this is a much more interesting reason, is that perfectionists put everything forward uh, when they uh, engage in tasks for the first time. However, at the first sign of difficulty, they tend to recoil. Now, we put people in the labs and we show this effect quite neatly by manipulating failure. So what we do is we put, uh, let's say we do uh, a sports task, let's say we put people in a in a lab and we get them to cycle and tell them that they've got to meet a goal that they should comfortably meet given their fitness. So we, on the first attempt, we say, go, go ahead and try and, you know, uh, match this outcome so we might say you know you're going to cover a certain distance in a certain amount of time go ahead go uh, and then at the end of that trial we tell them that they didn't make it that they didn't achieve what they should have comfortably achieved now the non-perfectionists do something interesting because when we tell them to do it again okay don't worry have another go the non-perfectionists maintain their effort if anything actually we see they, they sometimes increase their effort on the second attempt but the perfectionists do something really interesting on that second attempt after the first failure and all of the shame and guilt and embarrassment and worry that they feel having failed, they then withhold all of their effort on a second try because you can't fail at something that you didn't attempt. And so what perfection is doing is something very self-preserving. They're, they're anticipating failure and they're, they, and with that failure, they're anticipating a great deal of shame, guilt and embarrassment. And so in order to avoid those feelings, as I say, escape them, they take the effort away. And you see this in all sorts of places where, you know, they won't put themselves forward for important job interviews or important uh, speak, uh, talks or projects. But more interestingly, too, they tend to do things like procrastinate um, and, and uh, avoid and differ and iterate. So I certainly do this myself. And put off really challenging tasks because the um, again it's that sense of this is so difficult, this is so challenging. I'm I'm likely to find this really tough, and I'd rather just avoid it than have to manage that anxiety, have to sit with that anxiety. I'd rather you know watch the latest TikTok uh, trend or I don't know watch the 
that must see Netflix series or whatever it is to avoid those feelings, right? Uh, until the passage of time, of course, forces us into action. And by that time we're late, we're behind and the work is of a, is of a lesser standard than it would be if we got on top of it at the beginning, which also, you know, doesn't contribute to higher performance. So perfectionism, you think on the surface would create better performance, but actually when you delve deeper and you look at how perfectionists approach uh, tasks and how they respond to difficulties you begin to it begins to become clear that this isn't necessarily the secret to success we think it is fascinating stuff and i think no one's going to be hopefully after listening to this episode no one's going to be answering a job interview question with that ever again uh, i could definitely i was nodding my head when you said about the procrastination piece because i've done workshops online before goal setting workshops i've done these different frameworks about decision making and had you know kind of coaching and things like that with with group cohorts and often by the end of the group if it's four weeks or if it's a week often by the end of the group people will you know i see the potential in people they've got wonderful ideas these are smart, high achieving people who've got successful careers and they've, you know, they've got all the skill sets, they've got the attributes, they've got everything they need to go and do and achieve the goal that they've set for themselves. And for whatever reason, sometimes when I say, you know, six months later, maybe a month later, how's it going? You know, have you launched it? Have you started? So many times they'll say, oh, I haven't yet because this or this or this and there might be you know there might be a genuine reason but often there's all these little reasons that they haven't started it yet and they never say to me oh I don't want to achieve that goal anymore I'm not doing it you know sometimes when you explore something you realize actually it's not for me they never say that to me they never say oh I don't want to do it they just say I haven't done it yet and it's interesting as you said that this fear of like once I start once I actually launch my podcast or once I you know uh start that business or once I it's, it's then then the option of failure is there. Whereas sometimes I'm just, it frustrates me because I can see the potential, as I said, and I'm such an encourager that I'm thinking, come on, please, like you have got all the things, you've got what it takes. The only thing stopping you is you. So what can what can people do about that if they're thinking, yeah, that's me. I've got, I've had this idea for a year. I've talked about it to friends. I've written a plan. I just can't start. Do you think that they recognize that's even the reason? Do you know what? The first thing to say is it's really tough. Like there's no quick fix to this because perfection is so rooted in our whole worldview that we naturally recoil from situations where we know that we're going to fail and fail publicly. That's the thing. That's the important thing. When, when we know we're going to put ourselves out there in some way and expose ourselves to some kind of um, feedback, most likely critical, we find that really tough. So I think the first thing I would always uh, say is that it's no, there's no quick fix to this. The, but the best way to get through it is to just push out there little by little and, and just learn to sit with the anxiety of those little steps in the right direction. So maybe just put your hand up for a, for a, for a talk at work if you find public speaking difficult. And just sit with the anxiety of doing a small presentation in front of a group of workers. Okay, and then you can start to begin to scale that up. Okay, so this, that anxiety wasn't too bad. So maybe let's now uh, put a hand up to host an all hands meeting where there's more people, right? And again, it's that little step in the right direction. Sit with anxiety, allow it in. Don't try to quash it or avoid it. 
but just let it sit there for a little bit. And then again, you can begin to scale up and do uh, and do bigger talks and put your hand up to um, do you know, to start things from stretch, you know, uh, maybe, maybe uh, lead projects or whatever it might be. Um, so I think for me, it's not about, you know, you're not going to go from zero to a hundred straight away. Um, it's about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone little by little. And this is not just important, you know, for our global perfectionism, but it will help with things like procrastination because once we learn that we can do these things, once we learn that actually failure isn't as catastrophic as we think it is, and that you know having a bit of critical feedback is not a bad thing in the slightest then we can be then then we instantly find it much more easy to get started on really like testy projects or important essays or um or i don't know like you go to research a complex topic for a a project at work you know all these things that we might have before found really difficult to start now we're more comfortable with the anxiety of of you know the first try not necessarily being the best uh we can push through those periods of uh, difficulty and paralysis so that so that's my advice little by little great advice great advice a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And I want to talk now about You've mentioned a few times about concealing mistakes and about failure. So I want to talk a little bit about both of those things. So how powerful it can be also when we share our mistakes publicly. You know, last week I was at an award show. I was, I'd been asked to be a judge at the Bright List, which is a part of the Albright, which is a women's members club. And it's an awards sponsored by HSBC and they recognize the, the achievements and the efforts of wonderful women in business and in life. And one of the awards, I think it was for maybe entrepreneur of the year. I'm not sure, I can't remember the category, but the person that was giving out the award had been given some speaker cards and they'd been handed the speaker cards and they walked on stage. And as they read out the different nominees, obviously whoever had written the cards had written this kind of you know thing around this person does this and I absolutely love their book and I love their work. And the person reading it out just said, I, didn't write these cards. I don't want to. And basically after they said the words, for example, I loved their book, they actually went, I'm really sorry. Can I just stop and say, I didn't write these cards. I've never read this person's book. And the, the whole room kind of just laughed and they went, I'm really sorry. There's like, I know it's very almost like unprofessional or embarrassing, but they were like, I can't stand here and say, I really loved your book because I've never read it and I've never met you, but I look forward to meeting you and I will look forward to reading it. And the whole room kind of, you know, like I said, everybody was amused and afterwards I actually spoke to them and they were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I said that. But I was like, no, you know what? Like this radical honesty or public failure or little mistakes, actually people embrace them. When we see other people like making mistakes publicly and just owning them and saying, hey, I should have written my own cards. This is a disaster. Nobody was like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. Get off the stage. Everybody just kind of 
just laughed actually. So yeah, what what is there any, I suppose, value in sharing our mistakes? How can we have the confidence, I suppose, if we do make a mistake, whether it's a small thing at work or a big, literally standing up in front of a room full of high achieving people, how can we have the confidence to do that? And when does it serve us? Does it serve us actually to admit to our mistakes instead of concealing them? 100%, that anecdote is really fascinating because of the social response that everyone kind of breathed a sigh of relief almost that this person on stage was fallible. And I think what's really interesting is that the the society that we live in almost tries to push us against that that very humanizing sense that people are uh, not bulletproof, that we do make mistakes, that we do slip up, um, and that we have shortcomings and flaws. That's what it means to be a human being. And I think when people see that, when they see it, there's almost a, a kind of sense that, oh, thank goodness, that, you know, that, that actually, like, it is okay for us to be imperfect. And so, I, you know, that is a really interesting anecdote that speaks to uh, people's, I, I think, very natural sense that we we know deep down that we're not perfect uh, but we live in a world that kind of expects us to be perfect and that conflict creates a lot of kind of pent-up tension that then is instantly released once we see these kind of very humanizing experiences and it, you know you see this all the time but that that was a really interesting anecdote there about what that looks like uh in a big social gathering and so that's why I think, and one of the things I try to advocate in my book is is for us to reframe as a society that failure is humanizing and it's not humiliating. So be open to failure, embrace it because you are going to fail way more times than you're going to succeed. It's just basic maths. It's regression to the mean. You know, every time you have a big success, it's going to be followed by many little failures. And that's just what it means again to be human, to be learning, to be on a journey and on a process. So I think as a society, we do need to kind of be more open to people's failures, to open to your frailties, to be kinder both to ourselves and to other people. Um, and to just know that, you know, we share this world with billions of other fallible human beings and, and that each and every one of us has our own set of qualities and, and um, things that make us a value but also our shortcomings and foibles and that's fine that's that's part of who we are and and you know if we didn't have those imperfections then we'd be it would be a kind of a boring world wouldn't it so i think it's really important for us as a society and as people to be kind to ourselves to acknowledge that we're flawed um and yeah i mean this is this is the biggest way to break through perfectionism yeah, I, yeah, that humanizing part, I love that. And also, as you just said, when you said be kind to ourselves and others, when you can acknowledge your own mistakes and admit them and, and, and share them, I also think it's a very powerful thing to do if you're in a leadership leadership position because it allows others not only to make mistakes, but to share theirs as well. And, you know, when I go in to talk to organizations and companies about high performance and about performance well-being and about all these things that are going to help them and their employees to achieve and to kind of enjoy their work and bring their best to work. That's one of the areas that I actually focus on is speaking to leadership and saying to leaders, you're leading by example all the time. So whether that's how you manage stress, whether that's whether you prioritize time out of your diary for workouts and for, for time out or whether you're working 24-7, you are always leading by example. And that is another example that you've shared that if you can admit 
oh, I made a mistake or I missed this or I needed help with something, then other people will see that and see their leader and go, oh, I can admit it if I made a mistake. And actually the whole team, the whole organization, whatever the outcome, everyone will benefit because no one's having to, yeah, like you said, conceal and hide it. So the very last minute when they realize at the end of the project, oh, these things have been missed because no one wanted to admit it. So we can all benefit from, yeah, hearing other people's mistakes, sharing our own, getting over the shame and the embarrassment and the humanizing part that you mentioned that we're all gonna make mistakes. And just, if you are a leader, don't think that leading means perfection, but actually allow others to see you fail. Oh, 100%. That safety, if you, as a leader, if you can provide that safety for people to feel like it's okay to slip up, it's okay to ask a stupid question. And that's one of the things I try and do with my students all the time is from day one, tell them, no question is a stupid question. Ask anything you like and don't worry about what, um, I'm going to say what other people are going to think, because this is a, you know, you're learning something new and it's just like in a workplace, we're developing something new, an idea, a project from the ground. It's not going to be straightforward. The trajectory is not going to be linear. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be moments where the project hasn't quite worked or we identify a a fatal flaw that we're going to have to very quickly remedy. But that's the whole point about it being a process. Uh, And that if we can acknowledge and, and own up to mistakes as a team, then we can identify those problems early address them and in the end our project's going to be way better for it because we've been able to you know as a as i say as a team ident- uh, uh, allow people to feel safe to uh, uh, acknowledge when things haven't gone uh, quite to plan so you're absolutely right i think for leaders it's so so crucial to provide that safety for failure mm. all right well there's so many as i said at the start i was like this this topic fascinates me. I'm sure many of the listeners, I always you know, say that the listeners of this show and the ones that message and reach out and share it, I know that they are very, I don't want to just use the term like high performing people, but they're people who, you know, they've got lots of different passions, lots of different interests. They might be training for a, uh, an Ironman and they've also got a job and they've also got kids. And, you know, people do reach out and say, I really enjoy the show and this is what I'm working towards. This is what I'm doing. So I really hope that they will enjoy this conversation. I'm sure that there's many people who can relate to this topic and it's, it's super fascinating. But sadly, we are nearly out of time. So if I, of course, have to ask you, Thomas, about the concept of the power hour, the first hour of every single day. I know it's been incredibly impactful in my life to become more intentional about not just the first hour, but actually how I spend my time, whether it's it's not always about, you know, getting the most out of every single hour. It's not about productivity and doing more, 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 but it's just about being intentional and enjoying the time that we have and not wasting it or not let it be stolen away uh, by other things. So I'd love to hear about your first hour of your day. Okay, so as a recovering perfectionist, perfectionist also myself, one of the things that I really try to do at the beginning of each day is challenge myself in important ways or challenge my perfect self in important ways. Um, so what am I gonna do today if things go wrong? And let's say I'm giving a lecture, uh, I will, I will, I will try to, if possible, uh, foresee any issues that might arise. Maybe I'm asked a difficult question uh, at the end of the lecture, or maybe I don't explain a concept in the best way I, I, I could have, or maybe it's just simply I 
wasn't um, prepared enough and uh, some of the slides that I'm presenting on uh, I'm not fully across. And these are things that happen in the day-to-day -day life of, of a lecturer. I'm sure there are other things in the day-to-day -day life of people at work where they can uh, foresee similar setbacks or similar things that might go wrong. And I'm going to tell myself that it's okay to do that, that don't beat yourself up. It's okay. Fail like we talked about, failure is not um, something that we should be afraid of. We can learn from it. We can develop. We can grow. But it's important to, to prepare ourselves fully at the very beginning of the day that things will go wrong, that not everything is going to go perfectly. And today we're going to make mistakes, even if they're like really small mistakes. Perfectionists can run, uh, can hold themselves over coals for even the tiniest thing that goes wrong. So preparing ourselves psychologically for what's going to be a day that's full of all sorts of ups and downs is really, really important and making sure that we know that it's coming, that it's okay, and we're gonna treat ourselves with kindness rather than criticism. That's the most important thing at the beginning of the day for me. Great, thank you for sharing that. It's definitely something that I need to try more of um, because of course we know that things are gonna go wrong, but I think when I, if I was to sit in the morning and go, okay, what could possibly go wrong today in terms of yeah delivery, I'd probably then start to put in place, okay, well, what will I do if I do that? And how will I rectify it? And how can I make it better? Instead of just saying, yeah, just accept it, it's okay. And also I guess we probably have a magnifying glass, don't we, over what we do. Whereas other people, do they even notice really, you know, like the small things that happen, the little mistakes that to us seem huge. I'm sure if you said to somebody at the end of your lecture, or, you know, they probably don't even notice that there was, a, for example, with myself, I know that I'm terrible at spelling. And so I will double check things because I've felt mortified in the past when someone's like maybe commented on Twitter or said, oh, you spelt this wrong or there wasn't, an, there was, should have been an apostrophe there. And especially if it's a slide or even, I mean, a tweet, for goodness sake, come on, people will literally come for you because you missed a comma or an, or an apostrophe. And you kind of, and I'll feel this like shame because, you know, growing up at school, I wasn't good at spelling. But then you think, so maybe answering my own question, maybe there's a few people that would notice, but the majority of people probably don't care. No, don't sweat the small stuff. It's so, so important because like you say, we're we're the only person really who's going to notice the little mistakes that we make and it's no use putting us putting ourselves through the ringer uh for those for the things that in the grand scheme of things don't really matter the bigger picture is we're going to grow we're going to develop and that's the most important thing to focus on yes thank you so much thomas for joining us today for sharing your wisdom and i feel a little bit, bit, bit i feel a little bit more relaxed now going into this week <laughs> good i'm glad so tell us, Thomas, where can people get the book, The Perfectionist Trap, The Power of Good Enough in a World That Always Wants More? And when is it available? Yeah, my book, The Perfection Trap, is out on June the 1st. Uh, it's available on all online retailers. Uh, you can find more information on my Twitter at Tom underscore Curran, Tom spot T-H-O-M underscore Curran, uh, where there's links to make a purchase. Bab. Thank you. And thanks everyone, as always, for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do let us know and share this with someone who you know needs to hear this conversation. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 